if you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer, I think. <laughs> These are steps we all must take to protect Scotland. The people of Scotland will not be disrespected by this parliament. Mr Speaker. Scottish Politics Explained. A podcast by After Record and hosted by me, Iris Fazer. Hello, my lovely listeners. First of all, apologies if you hear like a buzzing sound. My neighbours have decided to dedicate themselves to gardening today and it's been going on for hours. So I guess there's little I can do about it. So I hope you're well and that you registered to vote, if eligible, of course. Welcome to a new episode of Scottish Politics Explained. I am your host, Edie Spazza. So last time we discussed it Um, this year's Scottish elections. We talked about the basic key dates and how you can register to vote, what types of vote are available to you. But today I want to revisit one of those topics that were quite important in the previous election. I am talking about Brexit and I'm particularly interested in seeing how almost five years after the referendum, Brexit is an will continue to affect our lives. I want to see the kind of day-to-day effects on our lives. To do so, I'm here with Ruby Zajak, who is a contributing editor at Scotia. Hi, Ruby. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and welcome to Scottish Politics Explained. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So when we talk about Brexit, we often associate it with slogans like Brexit means Brexit and loads of propaganda and varied media coverage. But how How does it translate in actual policy? What has changed since Brexit happened and and what is going to change in terms of economy, government and law, for example? Mm, mm. Well, I think, I mean, one of the big driving factors, I think, for the, the Brexit campaign was the changes in EU regulations around tax policy and and tax havens. And really, I think the agenda of Boris Johnson's government is to to turn the UK into a a tax haven where there's, you know, massive deregulation. And when you look at the free ports that they're already setting up, there is a real kind of drive to to kind of expand our, our free market capitalist you know agenda um, and kind of do away with the kinds of uh, environmental and workers rights protections that the EU has been developing although obviously lots of people on the left would say they they haven't been going far enough and so I do think we've been starting to see you know the beginnings of the agenda from the UK Tory government in that respect and also with regards to immigration and I mean the fact that they they have obviously released you know the kind of outline of what a kind of desirable uh, immigrant will be under the new system uh, in terms of basically you know only only the wealthy only people earning above 30,000 and making it very, very difficult to enter the UK without a certain level of wealth. And in fact, the latest horror in, in that story is the Home Office and Priti Prakatel have announced a, a kind of review of the asylum system, which is taking place during Purda when the Scottish government can, you know, respond in any way because we've got the election coming up. So I think it's a really, it's a really worrying kind of agenda and direction that we're moving in, in terms of, of you know, trade and migration and how that's going to affect, you know, 90, the 99 percent 
Yeah, definitely. And as you say, this is not something that we've seen in the news so much, but it will have serious consequences for our lives here in the UK. And another thing to note is that, I mean, of course, we won't be protecting foreign workers as much as they're protected now and this change will affect European workers but not only. I'm thinking of students for example and this might become a form of gatekeeping like fewer people will be coming in and this is something important to think about because we risk going towards a country that is increasingly more classes because of course if we think about the point system we are thinking about letting just kind of wealthy immigrants coming in the country but how does this affect the everyday life of a British citizen how does Brexit translate into everyday changes yeah, that's a it's a it's such a crucial question, isn't it? You know, how does policy affect us in practice? And and it's it's all too easy to kind of just jump to things like, oh, when people go on holiday, there'll be there there might be a, a visa system, which of course is you know incredibly unlikely, and it'd be incredibly easy, I'm sure in whatever system um, that is established for Brits to to holiday abroad on the continent. So. I suppose that the ways that it's going to affect us, it's actually harder to tease out, but I would just go back to those kinds of trade and and workers' rights issues and migration issues that I mentioned before, because in in your day-to-day, that's talking about, you know, having food on our supermarket shelves, which doesn't necessarily have the regulations um, in terms of safety standards. Um, We've all heard the kind of threats of the chlorinated chicken um, from the USA and, and that uh, the threats also to local branding of food in in a kind of you know this is Scottish smoked salmon you know doing away with that that protection I can't remember the name of it at, at this moment but uh, and and the threat that that poses to local economies and local businesses in Scotland that could. You, you know, there will be a knock-on effect. In fact, we're already seeing in the case of the seafood industry in Scotland, a lot of businesses are, you know, re- seriously under threat and like absolutely hemorrhaging money because they can't get their produce into the EU at the moment um, because the the regulations and checks that, that are in place and, and that you know, there hasn't been enough preparation for. I mean, we've seen in Northern Ireland, people were being affected in a very real daily life way um, when the the trade checks were supposed to come into place. um, and, And ultimately, they just didn't at the time they were meant to, because there would have been food shortages, you know, so these are very real things. But then, but then there is, you know, that more complex question of, you know, the the kind of bolstering of the gig economy and the work that, you know, a vast number of people in, in the country do in service industries in telecommunications, which won't necessarily be protected by the, the kinds of human rights protections uh, that were very kind of strong under the EU so that might not affect you know the people in the middle it might not affect the haves in the same way that it'll affect the have-nots but it is it is part of a kind of worrying picture which is eroding our rights and and the the UK has played a very clear the UK government has displayed a very clear ambition to kind of water down uh, the Human Rights Act so 
I think those are things that we're going to to see affecting us but they're not necessarily the kind of headline grabbing oh we're not going to get to holiday in Spain you know I don't think that's really what it's going to be about. I believe that what you say is also important in terms of keeping in mind what democracy looks like. Having people here who are from all over the world means having a wealth of experiences that can help make the government accountable for their actions because of course they have seen different ways of how democracy for example is conducted so that's surely kind of a wealth that is coming in this country. Yeah I mean I think that there are kind of very worrying things that are coming to light from the UK government in in the current context. For instance, the blog that was published on the London School of Economics uh, British Policy website by by a couple of academics, but one of whom is an advisor uh, on international trade to the UK government. And it was a blog that kind of weighed up the the case for Scottish independence from an economic perspective and it was very positive you know and it said that Scotland would have every chance of of you know flourishing succeeding economically and the UK government made a statement saying it was not their opinion which of course it wasn't but then the blog post was removed um you know apparently at the behest of the authors but you know it's a very clear indication that um as one of them works for the UK government um that, that there may have been pressure there and that is an extremely alarming kind of state of affairs and I think that being part of the European community and, and, and the European Parliament where there is that kind of accountability and comparison with other countries I mean don't get me wrong you know I don't think that the EU is in any way perfect and you know early on in in the days of the campaign when we would hear you know the of the remain campaign the kind of hesitancy from jeremy corbyn and and the kind of lexit arguments there was certainly you know from my perspective there were some good arguments being made but it became clear very quickly that that was not what brexit was about you know brexit was always about a right-wing populist agenda and so anyone who voted for it you know with this kind of left-wing ideals i think was was very misled into what their vote was actually going to be used for but i think that for example yanis varoufakis's movement Oh, the name of it escapes me. But, you know, that that movement, very kind of pan-European movement to democratise the EU and reform from within the EU, you know, and some of the stuff that he's written, you know, with his experience as the Greek finance minister when, when the European Union was so heavy-handed with the Greek economy, if even he was saying, you know, there are things to be done, but the best chance we have of of kind of promoting, you know, socially just, well, let's just say socialist ideas that are, you know, protecting the common good is together, not by isolationism. I feel like I've slightly lost the thread of what the question was there. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I think we were just kind of chatting at this point. But I do have a follow-up question on what you were just saying there. So you were saying that the debate around Brexit played on right-wing populist propaganda. And this had a huge impact on our lives and on the general conversation because, of course, it was said that Brexit really changed the course of our public debate. Do you think 
that Brexit will still be affecting or will have an influence on the upcoming elections. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, the last Scottish Parliament elections were the same year as the Brexit referendum. So, you know, that question was very much on people's minds, um, although it happened before the referendum. And I think that there there is a sense that, you know, it's been five years and, you know, now the question on everyone's minds is coronavirus. <laughs> um, so I don't think it will be kind of the first, you know, the biggest issue, the biggest factor. But I definitely think that uh, the SNP's stance on Brexit has brought a lot of people to the SNP cause, or I think it's changed a lot of people's minds. Um, both the SNP's kind of open-hearted, open-minded kind of policy, um, and also you know the fact that Brexit happened uh, because one of the arguments that was made in 2014 in vis-a-vis -vis Scottish independence was that, you know, if we were independent, we wouldn't be in the EU. And that was something that a lot of people within a certain kind of demographic bracket um, were very concerned about. So now, you know, the only way to be in the EU is to become independent. And I think that is going to be a draw. And and certainly it's something that uh, the, the, you know, is being kind of an argument that's being made to new Scots and, and new voters who are voting for the first time in this election, who are EU citizens and refugees and, and basically everyone who's got residency, which is very exciting. And and of course, that's a, you know, that that's something that would appeal from the Green Party's uh, campaign and, and kind of platform as well. So I think there is a, a real sense that, you know, Scotland did vote remain and we have been taken out of the EU against our will and it, it does just kind of compound the the case for independence which is obviously in the case of the Scottish Parliament elections the case for the pro-independence parties but we can't forget that you know there was a third of of the vote in in the referendum the Brexit referendum the the voted to leave in Scotland so that that may also kind of play into people's decision making. Yeah that's something that surely needs to be acknowledged and taken into consideration even if only as some kind of subtext in these elections because it plays into the bigger picture into the values and goals that, that will determine our next government. Well thank you so much Ruby for this chat and for coming on the podcast this was kind of my last question it's been really interesting uh chatting about all these wide and varied uh issues that we're all grappling with at the moment it's been my pleasure this is all we have time for today but if you're looking to learn more about scottish politics you can have a wee listen to our other episodes including our first election special from last week for now thank you so much for listening and i wish you a great weekend Bye.